ಅಖಂಡಂ ಸಚ್ಚಿದಂದಂ ಅವಾಂಗಮನಸಗೋಚರ ಆತ್ಮಖಿಲಾಧಾರ ಆಶ್ರಯೀಷ್ಟಸಿದ್ಧೈ ಐ ಟೇಕ್ ರೆಫ್ಯೂಜ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ದ ಇಂಡಿವಿಜಿಬಲ್ ದ ಎಕ್ಸಿಸ್ಟೆನ್ಸ್ ಕಾನ್ಷಿಯಸ್ನೆಸ್ ಬ್ಲಿಸ್ ಅಬ್ಸಲ್ಯೂತ್ ಬಿಯಾಂಡ್ ದ ರೀಚ್ ಆಫ್ ವರ್ಡ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಥಾಟ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ ಸಬ್ಸ್ಟ್ರೇಟಮ್ ಆಫ್ ಆಲ್ ಫಾರ್ ದಿ ಅಟೈನ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಮೈ ಚೆರಿಶ್ಡ್ ಡಿಸೈರ್ ಸೊ ವೇದಾಂತ ಸಾರ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ರೀಚ್ಡ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಅ ವೆರಿ ಕ್ರೂಷಿಯಲ್ ಪಾರ್ಟ್ ವೇರ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಟ್ರೈಂಗ್ ಟು ಅಂಡರ್ಸ್ಟ್ಯಾಂಡ್ ದ ಸ್ಟೇಟ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ದ್ಯಾಟ್ ದಾವ್ ಆರ್ಟ್ ತತ್ವಮಸಿ ಇನ್ ಫ್ಯಾಕ್ಟ್ ದಿಸ್ ಇಸ್ ದ ವೆರಿ ಹಾರ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಅದ್ವೈತ ವೇದಾಂತ ಇಫ್ ಯು ವಾಂಟ್ ಟು ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪ್ರೆಸ್ ಅದ್ವೈತ ವೇದಾಂತ ಇನ್ ಒನ್ ಸೆಂಟೆನ್ಸ್ ಇಟ್ ವುಡ್ ಬಿ ದಿಸ್ ಇನ್ ಒನ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಮಹಾವಾಕ್ಯಸ್ ದ್ಯಾಟ್ ದಾವ್ ಆರ್ಟ್ ಯು ಸೆಂಟೆನ್ಸಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪ್ರೆಸ್ ದಿ ಐಡೆಂಟಿಟಿ ಆಫ್ ಜೀವ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮನ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಇಂಡಿವಿಜುವಲ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದಿ ಅಬ್ಸಲ್ಯೂಟ್ the meaning is is not straight forward actually as we have seen we have to, it has to go through three stages we have to process this sentence that thou art through three stages which are basically three relationships if you recall the three relationships are samanadhikaranyam visheshana visheshya bhava and laksha lakshana bhava the first one samanadhikaranyam is is a relationship between the words of a sentence so all the words are they all related to do they refer to one thing or do they refer to different things and we have decided that all the words in the sentence that thou art it's one of those unusual sentences where all the words the different words but they all point to one reality then next in such cases we go to the second stage to find out the meaning of the sentence the second stage is the adjectival relationship visheshana visheshya bhava usually when words in the sentence refer to one object they are usually related as uh, as adjective and noun the second the second relationship visheshana visheshya bhava is between the words of the sentence and the um, and the object um, pada and uh, artha so between the words of the sentence that is that and thou so for example the um the um, you know the phrase blue lotus so blue and lotus both refer to the same thing that blue flower but they are related as a, a property and a substance a color and uh, you know a flower so the color inheres or is in that flower and that's usually how such sentences go but we saw last time we ran into trouble doing that because um the individual is not an attribute or um uh, an adjective to god to the to uh, saguna brahman and the opposite is all, it just in is just uh, impossible god cannot be an attribute of an individual so just like you know blue lotus if you say blue lotus blue is an attribute of the lotus that's perfectly all right and we come across so many such examples but that's not l- like that thou art uh, you are not an attribute of of the absolute the absolute obviously are, are of god you are not an attribute of god and god is obviously not an attribute of you the individual but the way we use that that uh, step it's not entirely useless for us what it does is it excludes in the sense when you say blue lotus for example 
the word blue excludes all other kind of uh, kinds of all other colors you know it's not a yellow lotus it's not a white lotus red lotus all other colors are excluded the moment you say blue and the moment you say lotus all other blue objects are excluded the blue sky a blue shirt or a blue pen all those are excluded you mean only the blue lotus so you see how these two terms they come together to point to one specific object uh, in the same way we are using that and thou um, to exclude every other possibility for for what we are trying to say is that thou art means you are brahman that means you are not anything else except brahman you are not a body you are not this limited individual the meaning of the sentence is you are brahman and the opposite is also true um, brahman is you brahman by brahman we don't mean shiva or um, you know kali or durga if uh, in case you're thinking of them as gods different from you not in that sense uh, brahman means only you you means brahman brahman means you so we have used it in that sense uh, the second relationship which is visheshana visheshya bhava now the problem still remains the problem is this at this stage what the problem we have right now is yes the sentence means you are nothing but brahman and brahman is nothing but you fine but still the meaning does not emerge we don't get at the meaning of it it's still impossible how can you the individual being the this little limited human being how can you be saguna brahman saguna brahman brahman is god all powerful all knowing you know um, not only that god is uh, is Uh, is something that we we do not directly experience and you experience your own existence directly in sanskrit paroksha paroksha uh, god is all knowing sarvagya you the individual being are you have very little knowledge alpagya god is all powerful sarvashaktiman in sanskrit you the individual being are we have so little power so little ability alpashaktiman and so on so how can even saying that you are nothing but god and god is nothing but you what does it mean it how can how are you nothing but god how am i nothing but god and how is god nothing but me what exactly does it mean what are you referring to when you say blue lotus it's pretty clear what you're referring to no other lotus except the blue one and no other blue object except the lotus yes the meaning is it fits and you can easily bring me the say here swami here is the blue lotus but what do you mean when you say you are nothing but god and god is nothing but you what exactly are you referring to what is the entity what is the reality you're talking about and can you see how contradictory it is so we need need one more step to find out the meaning of the sentence that thou art the third relationship is called lakshya lakshana bhava basically implied meaning so it's a relationship and relationship always means relationship between two or more entities so at least two entities So what are the what is the relationship here? It's the relationship between the sentence that thou art and the entity referred to by it. The meaning of that sentence, vakya and vakya artha. The vakya means sentence, and artha means the reality or the object referred to by it. This is the relationship. Um, it's an implied meaning, not a direct meaning. Why? Why not a direct? What do I mean by direct meaning and implied meaning? Right. So what do I mean by direct meaning and implied meaning? Direct meaning is the straightforward dictionary meaning. When you take a word, look at the dictionary, what does it mean? 
God. Okay, so it look at the dictionary, the creator of the universe, um, individual human being, this limited creature. How can they be the same? Do you, do, you don't clearly the dictionary meanings don't fit. So when dictionary meanings, the direct meaning does not fit, you look for an implied meaning. Why do you look for that? You've made up your mind that the sentence is sensible. The person who's speaking is not speaking nonsense, um, is not just you know saying contradictory things. If it is a meaningful sentence and the meaning is not emerging with the direct meaning, you take an implied meaning. Take a, some other meaning and we'll see what kind of implied meaning is available to us. And we, and we will see. We do it all the time in life. When we want to understand what somebody else is saying, we take an implied, if it, the direct meaning is not fitting, is not appropriate, we take an implied meaning and we think that, right, that person means this. All right, so this is the third stage. And at this stage, the meaning of the sentence that thou art will emerge. Tattvamasi will emerge. Um, before we dive into it, I'll tell you briefly what's going to happen. And then we take a look and it will be easy to follow. And this is the, I promise you, the, the final stage of analysis of that thou art. But we are not finished yet. After this, there is Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. Uh, so a different issue will be taken up when we take up that sentence. But that thou art, this is the final stage of analysis. And what's going to happen? We're going to look for a way to make things fit. So how do we do that? We look for implied meaning. Now, there are varieties of, way of ways of finding implied meaning. We will look at three of them. Uh, reject two of them because they won't fit. And then finally, find one which will fit. Three what? Three ways of finding implied meaning. Three techniques of finding implied meaning. Two won't work, third one will work. The first one is called, um, is called uh, Jahad Lakshana. Jahad Lakshana means implied meaning by letting go of the original meaning. The second one we will take up is called Ajahad Lakshana, which means implied meaning by adding something to the original meaning. And the third one, which we will find working for us, is called Jahad Ajahad Lakshana which means leaving out a part of the original meaning and retaining a part of the original meaning. Then we will find the real implied meaning. Three, there are three options available to us. Um, you Either you let go of the original meaning, which is not fitting and find something else which works. Um, I know this might sound a little abstract. What am I talking about? Well, when we get dive into it, it'll become very clear. It's very simple. And it's something that we do all the time in day to day. You know, when we talk with each other, we do it without thinking twice about it. The second one is called uh, Ajahat Lakshana, when you find an implied meaning without letting go of the original meaning. You add something to it and then it makes sense. And then the third one is you let go a part of the meaning, retain a part of the original meaning, and then it makes sense. Fine. Now, um, let me see. The first one, first one will be the Jahat Lakshana, where you let go of part of the meaning. And the example they will give is, um, is um, Gangayam Ghoshaha. It's a classical example, classical Sanskrit example. It simply means the, the, the neighborhood or the colony of the, uh, of the milkmen is on the Ganga. It just basically says where the dairy farmers, they, where they stay, that place is on the Ganga, River Ganga. Obviously it doesn't fit uh, because you can't have people staying on the river. It obviously means on the bank of the river. 
and that's a common way of putting it you know like uh, um where is shakespeare's house stratford on on avon yes it can't be on a river but it just means on the bank of the river uh, for example when swami vivekananda's uh, um in early letters it used to say belur on ganges so the main monastery is belur math and on ganges it's it's on the bank of the river ganga and that's an accepted usage but you say it's on the river but it's not literally on the river you mean on the bank of the river and you don't have to say it spell it out i'm writing from um, manhattan on the bank of um, the hudson no i'm writing from from manhattan on the hudson but that doesn't literally mean like that plane which was floating on the hudson river a few years back it's not like that you're literally on the river but you're on the bank of the river uh, so that's one meaning and we will try it out does it work can you know in that case you let go of the original meaning what was the original meaning river river means this body of water you let go of that meaning and find out approximate meaning which is the bank of the river and does it fit can a community of people stay on a bank of a river of course they can so we settle for that meaning when you said these people stay on the river ganga we understand we don't take the literal meaning we understand they are staying on the bank of uh, on the bank of ganga not on the river ganga uh, will it fit here we will see it won't fit um, why not we'll see there and uh, fit here means in the case of that thou art this it, this won't work you can't let go of the meaning of that or thou and then um, get some other meaning and then it'll fit no it won't then the second option which will be offered to us is don't let go of the original meaning but add something to it it will work and the example they use is shona dhavati red is running the red is running literally means the red horse is running so they were i think they were big on betting on horses even in those days so look the red one is running the red horse is racing well shona dhavati um the red is racing now what you mean to say red or brown horse so what you mean to say is the brown horse you have to supply one more thing for the sentence to make sense i'm sure those who are uh, aficionados of horse racing they have no problem but others might be puzzled what do you mean that brown is running or is the brown color running or somewhere or something no it's the horse brown horse you supply one more word then the sentence makes perfect sense brown horse is running or red horse is running can you do that here can you supply something to that thou art and it will make sense we'll see that it won't nothing like that works finally we go to the third kind of uh, implied meaning which is um, which is uh, you retain a part of the original meaning and let go of part, the part of the original meaning and then you see it will work um, an example given there is this is that devadatta this is a classic example we have been using again and again you see devadatta this guy Uh, who met seen long time ago in a different city and you see him now and you immediately recognize this is that devadatta what are you doing you are letting go of the contradictory aspects past and present in um, mumbai and in new jersey uh, and the young man and this middle aged man and the fit uh, person and this obese person you let go of the fitness and obesity they are contradictory the, a person cannot be in mumbai and new jersey at the same time a person cannot be past and present at, uh, in together you let go of those things you just mean the person if you literally see this is that devadatta is contradictory 
How can the past and the present be together? How can the young and the old be together? How can the fit and the not so fit be together? No, they can't be. But you, are, you don't mean all that. When you say this is that, you just, I just recognize the same person. That's all we do. And it's a very common way of speaking. Another example would be, I bought a mango, I ate a mango. I bought a mango, I ate the mango. When you say I bought a mango, you mean the whole mango, the skin and the big seed inside, and of course the edible portion, the whole thing. But when you say I ate the mango, you mean only the edible portion. You don't mean that you ate the skin or the big uh, seed inside. But you're using the same word, mango. And everybody understands that you bought the whole mango, but you ate the edible portion of it. Nobody has to ask for any further clarification. I took a bath in, in, a, in a monastery. We used to go and take a dip in the river Ganga. So when I say uh, the Ganga, I took a um, dip in the river Ganga. If you look at the dictionary, the river Ganga, it means the body of water flowing from the Himalayas in the glacier and to, to the Bay of Bengal. So did you swim all the way from the Himalayas to the Bay of Bengal? No, you didn't. You just took a little dip on the, in the Ganga on the, in the, in the from the monastery, right on the bank of the Ganga. So that's what you did. So everybody understands. You leave out the unnecessary portions. You just take that much meaning. And um, it's a perfectly common way of speaking. How does that help us? When you take that vow art, you leave out the contradictory portions. You leave out uh, that God is all powerful, you are less powerful. You leave out God is uh, you know, all knowing and you are little knowing. God is pervading the entire universe and you are just this in this tiny body. You leave all that out and you take the one consciousness behind God and yourself. The one pure consciousness, not the body, not the mind, the witness consciousness, which is the same in you and the same in God, that I am, that one light shining through you. That, in that place, you and God are the same reality. And you can do that. Why can you do that? We'll see when, it, when we come to it. Uh, so that will be the final meaning of that thou art. I am that Nirguna Brahman and Saguna Brahman. God is also that Nirguna Brahman. That thou art. Thou means, really speaking, if you leave out all the unnecessary parts, the contradictory parts, you will be, you will be reduced to the impersonal Brahman, Nirguna Brahman, pure consciousness. That, if you leave out Maya and all the powers given by Maya to consciousness, you will get only that pure consciousness. And then they are one and the same. When Nirguna Brahman, you are Nirguna Brahman and God, Saguna Brahman is also actually Nirguna Brahman in reality. And that we can do because the world is an appearance. You will see why uh, the importance of Jagat Mithyatva, the falsity of the world, it becomes overwhelmingly important at that time. And we'd also tie together at that point all that we learned in the past few months. How does all that help? The five elements and uh, Maya and, and Avidya and um, you know uh, the five uh, sh the sheets of the human personality, all those things which we learned, all of it will be tied together at the third level. And we'll see why we needed to know all that. Right. This is what's going to happen now. Let me just, just read through. The final stage, implied meaning. Implied meaning. We are on text number 159. 159. So we need the implied meaning now. Three types of implied meaning. Let's consider the first one, which we are going to reject. Atra Ganga Yam Ghosha Prativasati Iti Vakyavat Jahad Lakshana Pinasangachate. Again, in the sentence that thou art or thou art that, 
Jahad Lakshana is not admissible in the, as in the sentence, the cowherd village is literally in the Ganga. It might have been incomprehensible if you read it directly, but with the introduction, which background I gave, you see it, yeah, it's pretty simple. When you say, okay, let me read through it, it will make sense. What about the cowherd village in the Ganga? What about it? Tatratu, next, next text. Tatratu, Ganga Ghoshayor, Adhar Adheya Bhava Lakshanasya, Vakyarthasya Asheshato Viruddhatvat, Vakyartham Asheshata Parityajya, Tat Sambandhi, Tira Lakshanaya, Tira Lakshanaya, Yuktatva, Jahad Lakshana Sangachate. In that sentence, as it is altogether absurd to construe the words Ganga and cowherd village literally in the sense of container and contained respectively, that meaning of the sentence must be entirely abandoned and it should refer by implication to the bank of the Ganga. Hence, in this case, the application of Jahad Lakshana is admissible. Is it making sense that when you say the cowherd village or the, or the, the neighborhood of the cowherds, it's, it's in the Ganga. That's the literal meaning of the sentence. Immediately we realize that's not possible. How can people stay in the Ganga? And so we immediately, instinctively, we take um, the implied meaning. What do we say? Oh, you mean on the bank of the Ganga, on the bank of the Ganga. I can say that my main monastery is in the Ganga or is on the Ganga. You mean on the bank of the Ganga? Yes, everybody understands that. How did you do that? What technique did you use? Why do you at all have to use a technique? Because notice, you are changing the meaning. I'm saying it's on Belur, on Ganga, on Ganges, Stratford, on Avon, Manhattan, on Hudson. If you take the literal meaning, it doesn't make sense. You automatically take the implied meaning. It's on the bank of the Hudson, on the bank of the Avon, on the bank of the Ganga. Um, so that implied meaning is called Jahad Lakshana, letting go. Jahad means letting go letting go of the original meaning. Why did you let go of the original meaning? Because the original meaning that the people are staying in the river or on the river doesn't make sense. And therefore we took a meaning. Um, what kind of meaning? Uh, something that's reasonable. You can't say they stay um, on the Ganga and then you can't take an implied meaning by saying, oh, they stay on the bank of the Yamuna. No, that's not possible. You should take some kind of reasonable meaning, you know, that. Uh, these people you say on the Ganga means on the bank of the river Ganga, not some other river or somewhere else. Um, don't stretch it too far. But I'm, it implies that you are staying somewhere else. No. But this will not work for us. That thou art is not a sentence like the coward village is on the Ganga. It's not a sentence like that. It's a different kind of sentence. Look at text number 161. Atratu. Paroksha, Paroksha, Chaitanya, Ekatva, Lakshanasya, Vakyarthasya, Bhaga, Matri, Virodhat, Bhaga, Antaram, Api, Parityadya, Anya, Lakshanaya, Ayuktatva, Jahat, Lakshana, Nasangachate. But this sentence, thou art that, meaning the identity of consciousness characterized by immediacy or remoteness, involves contradiction in one part only. Therefore, it's not proper to abandon the other part as well and indicate something else by implication, Lakshana. Hence, in this case, Jahad Lakshana is not admissible. See, it's pretty simple. When you say that thou art, what is that and what is thou? That is consciousness 
associated with Maya, which is what we call God, Saguna Brahman. What is Tao? It's consciousness limited by one individual ignorance, Agyana, us. No, ignorance and then the mind and the body, us. And the two don't fit. They are not equal to each other. But notice, it's not that they are completely opposed to each other. There is one place where they fit. Both are the same consciousness. It's the same consciousness. Now, Jat Lakshana demands that you let go of the entire meaning. Consciousness plus whatever it is. And then take some other meaning. No, you don't need to do that. You need to let go of only the contradictory parts. You don't need to let go of the entire meaning. Then let go of consciousness also. No. That means consciousness plus Maya or limited by Maya. This a Tao means consciousness, same consciousness, limited by one part of Maya, Ajnana. The contradiction is caused by Maya and Ajnana, by Maya and the individual ignorance. Um, and there is no contradiction in consci consciousness as such. It is the same thing. So it does not make sense to let go of the entire meaning when the contradiction is only in a part. Now, if you look at what is being said, Atratu, in this case, I'm looking at this Sanskrit. Atratu, in this case, which case? That thou art. Tatratu means, in that case, in that case means the, the village of the cowherds is on the Ganga. In that case, it worked. In this case, in, so you have to understand what is being meant by that and this. This case means the sentence which we are trying to understand. In this case, tattvamasi, that thou art. The contradiction is paroksha, paroksha chaitanya. Paroksha chaitanya, aparoksha chaitanya. Aparoksha chaitanya means directly experienced awareness. What is the directly experienced awareness? Where do you directly experience awareness? In yourself. Where else? The directly experienced awareness is my own individual awareness, the jiva, the sentient being. And what we are talking about, God, is paroksha chaitanya. Is, is a consciousness characterized by maya is, is indirect. It's something that I have read about, something that people have told me exists. I have no direct experience of such a, a reality. How can the two be the same thing? That which is directly experienced by, by me. What is that? My own existence, my own awareness. That which is not directly experienced at all. It's I, something, I just believe in it. And that is God. How can the two be the same? So this is, he says, Bhaga Matre Virodhat. At this level, there is a contradiction. Truly, he says, Bhaga Matre Virodhat. There's a contradiction between God and the individual. They can't be the same thing. Because of that, Bhagantaram Apiparityadya. You are, you are saying that you have to give up the part where there is no contradiction also, because the method is to give up the original meaning and take a new meaning. Uh, you are saying that you have to give up the other part also where there is no contradiction. What is the other part? Consciousness part. These are not actually parts. We're just analyzing it from the semantic point of view. Do you have to give up the consciousness part also? No. Why should you do that? So it does not. He says, Ayuktatvat. It's unreasonable. Jahat lakshana na sangachate. Because it's unreasonable, we can't use this method of giving up the entire meaning. There is no contradiction in the entire meaning. There is a contradiction only in a part of the meaning. So that method of giving up the entire meaning, it won't work for that thou art, tattvamasi. What else is on offer? Oh, before we go to the next method, um, there is somebody who is trying to push this method on us. That look, we can make it work for you. <laughs> this is some good salesman for uh, Jahad Lakshana. 
who's going to come and say, this method will work for you. Look, I'll, I'm going to make it work for you. How? So this is an unnecessary wrinkle, an unnecessary complication, not necessary, but anyway, he has given it, so we'll, we'll read through it. I'm on text 162. <laughs> He said, uh, he, this salesman who is trying to sell this method to us, he is saying that, um, look, why don't you look at it this way? Just as the word Ganga, we gave up the meaning of the river and we took the implied meaning, the bank of Ganga. So why don't you do it like this? That, the, that and thou, thou means you, the individual being. Let it give up its original meaning and mean that God. Or the other way around, let God give up its original meaning and mean the individual you, and then it will work, it will fit. But that's obviously ridiculous. What does it mean? How can, as I said, implied meaning has to be reasonable. If you say that thou art, what do you know what he is proposing? He says, let, let's look at it this way, just as the... Um, village of cowherds is on the Ganga, you change the meaning of Ganga to bank of Ganga. You totally gave up the meaning of Ganga and made it the bank of Ganga. Similarly, to make that and thou equal, let's take the word thou, you. And let it, what, it say, what is its meaning? You, the person. Let's give up that meaning and let you mean God. So you means God and uh, that means God, then the two are equal. Or the other way around, let's take the word that, which means God, let it, let's give up that meaning and let, let's take an implied meaning, let it mean you, the individual. So that means you, the individual, and you means you, the individual. So they are equal. But that does this ridiculous. You can't do that. And that's not permissible. And it doesn't mean anything at all. If it just mean me, I am I, this person. Where does that take, get me? So here's an objection. We are rejecting that. He said, we are saying that, no, we don't want it. It won't work. Text number 163. Tatra you see why this is going on. I mean, on the face of it, it is useless. It is a silly suggestion. But from a semantic point of view, there are good arguments why you can push this kind of an argument. Um, so that has to be rejected with, with um, solid reasons for why we are rejecting. Now you see the reasons he's giving. Tatra tirapada ashravanena tadatta pratito lakshanaya in that sentence, the word bank is not mentioned and therefore the meaning which is not explicit can only be derived through implication, lakshana. But in the other sentence, thou art that, the words that and thou are mentioned and their meanings are explicit. Therefore, it's not proper to use a lakshana here in order to indicate uh, through either of them the sense of the other, thou or that. What does it mean? You have to give a reasonable answer to them, I mean, in, in a, which satisfies them technically. You can't say it's ridiculous to think that thou is equal to God or God is equal to you um, and take an implied meaning in that way. You know what they will reply to that is that you already made up your mind which we have in sort of way, but is it you have already made up your mind that you are God, that's what it means. And that's why you're rejecting our, our um, 
um, proposition. It could mean, who knows? In uh, in the Chandogya Upanishad, it could mean literally. It could mean you are you, or God is God, uh, something like that. Um, so why are you rejecting it? Give us a technical reason for not applying what I'm saying. So here's the technical reason. Um, in that sentence, Gangayam Ghosha, the the meaning which you want, the bank of the river, is not mentioned. Only river is mentioned. Ganga and the community of the village of the cowherds is mentioned. Now you want, what is the meaning that you want? The bank of the river, not mentioned in the original sentence. Then you need an implied meaning to get that, that, that meaning, that meaning of the bank. Here in this sentence, that and thou are explicitly mentioned. That thou art. You don't need to go around, you know, like do a roundabout thing and get an implied meaning to make that imply thou or thou imply that because the, the words are already there. And the rule is, which everybody accepts, you never use implied meaning techniques to find out something which is already mentioned. If it's already there, you don't, you don't have to go on and take an implied meaning to, to mean it. So you, we, we can't do that, what you are suggesting. All right. What else is on offer? The second method where you do not give up the original meaning, but you add something to the original meaning and then the sentence makes sense. Example, the, the red is running, by which you mean, if you add the word horse, then the sentence makes perfect sense. The red horse is running. So can we add something to that thou art to make perfect sense? Atra shono dhavati iti vakyavad jad lakshana api sambhavati. Here, and so nor is ajahad lakshana um, applicable in this sentence, as in the sentence, the red color is running. Um, so atra shona dhavati iti vakyavad ajahad lakshana api nasambhavati. Atra means here, shona dhavati, shona means red or brown, dhavati, running. Iti vakyavad, a sentence like this, ajahad lakshana, implied meaning uh, without giving up the original meaning. This is not possible for that thou art. Why not? Um, because he'll explain in the next text. Tatra shona guna, shona guna, gamana lakshanasya vakyarthasya viruddhattvat, tad parityagena, tad aparityagena, tad ashraya ashwadi lakshanaya, tad virodha parihara sambhavad, Ajahad Lakshana Sambhavati. The literal meaning of that sentence, namely the running of red color, is absurd. In English, it's not absurd. When you say the red color is running, it makes some sense because you feel like a surface, like a you know, like a wall or somewhere, and the color is wet and it's it's like rain or something, and the color starts running. Uh, so that's the English expression. But literally, a color can't run um, in that sense. So um, the literal meaning of the sentence, namely the running of red color is absurd. This absurdity can be removed without abandoning the meaning of the word red. Red color means red color. You're not disturbing that. By interpreting it to imply a horse of that color, you add something else, red horse or car or something, then the whole sentence makes sense. You don't let go of the meaning of red. Keep the meaning of red. But to make sense of the whole sentence, you add something, horse, red horse. Then it works. 
Therefore, in this case, Ajahad Lakshana is admissible. In which case? In the case of red is running. Fine. You add something, it works. But it will not work for that thou art. Why not? 166. But here in the sentence that the thou art that, the literal meaning conveying an identical consciousness associated with remoteness, immediacy, etc. is self-contradictory. If without abandoning this meaning, any other idea connected with it is implied, still the contradiction will not be reconciled. Therefore, in this case, Ajahat Lakshana is in inadmissible. So what is the problem here? When you say that thou art, literally, you are God. That means the creator of the universe and you means this individual person I'm addressing. You are God. It's literally contradictory. Um, as we said, many contradictions are there. God is all-powerful. We are. We have very little power. God is all-pervading. We are tiny. Um, God is um, all-knowing. We know very little. And, and God is something, you know, beyond our experience. We believe in it, think about it read about it, but we are within, very much within our own experience. We, the first thing we experience is ourselves. Experienced, not experienced, little power, um, extraordinary power, little knowledge and all-knowing. Total contradiction. Now, in order to resolve this contradiction, if you, whatever you add without letting go of the contradictions, the contradiction will remain. You see, what will happen is, if you add something, whatever you add, the contradiction still remains. You have to let go of the contradiction. You have to resolve the contradiction somehow. Then only identity is possible. No matter what you keep adding, the problem remains unless you are dealing with the problem of contradiction. It's like that example I mentioned, I think, last week. This um, couple were going to a party and the wife said to the husband, that, what's that awful smell? You, uh, change your socks. And then they go to the party and then the wife, you know, she comes up uh, and whispers to the husband, I told you to uh, change the socks. It's that awful smell. Um, the husband said, but I did. I put on fresh socks. But how is that that smell still coming? Said, oh, the, those old ones, I put them in my pocket. So if you, if you don't let go of the problem, uh, you have to keep the old ones at home and put on the fresh ones. Then only the smell is taken care of. But if you don't let go of the problem and you keep adding new things, no matter what you keep adding, the contradiction between God and individual remains. See, these are not, um, these are not as abstract as they sound. Uh, for example, when you're talking about Advaita Vedanta, what are the common questions that you face? One question will be, um, how is it that, uh, uh, you know, how can there be devotion in Advaita Vedanta? If you are God, then how, how, whom are you bowing down to? You see, the whole problem is people are taking it literally. The you are God, that thou art, and you bow down to God. The two you's are different. In one, there's an implied meaning, which is going to come. In the other one, there's no implied meaning, direct meaning. If there's a direct meaning, you are this individual being and God is God, of course you will bow down to God. You will worship God. You will believe in God or disbelieve in God. All these are possible. But you are in no case is it possible you are God, literally. So most of the times, when people, they make this mistake. 
when people say that you know advaita says aham brahmasmi i am brahman but in what sense so that sense is being extracted now so these are actually it, it is uh, without this you cannot really understand uh, what advaita vedanta is saying these are not just theoretical exercises um so we have to see what it points to and it's very useful for spiritual practice in advaita vedanta this exercise is absolutely essential otherwise we won't know what you're talking about yeah. all the charges against advaita vedanta this is blasphemy uh, all, all the dualistic religions uh, in um, uh, hinduism the the madhva school the vishishta advaita school of vedanta which are bhakti schools devotional schools their main enemy was the non dualist the advaitin why because you are saying you are one with god you are one with vishnu or narayana what a blasphemy and their madhvacharya has uh, uh, verses on this that you little insect you are saying you are one with the mighty lord of the universe how can you even think of how can you even dream of making such a you know blasphemous statement and it's true if you literally take that and thou to be one and the same it's it's true it's blasphemous how can it be so but that's not what it means not at all so i i think i mentioned it an interesting experience which i had um last year uh, that uh, a couple of scientists from mit they wanted to come and say that we want some we want to ask you some questions when i was at harvard so they wanted to come and so i said all right let's come meet at the library and they came and lemont library was very busy lot of students so they said let's go to uh, our lab in mit and it's we'll get a lot of you know it's empty so we can talk there this was of course way before the pandemic so two two scientists and i said that's great i haven't seen mit so let's go so we'll go to the lab and we'll ask you the question when they said oh you haven't seen mit that then we'll take you on a tour and that was one of the most amazing evenings of my life uh, they took me on a tour of uh, one site if it's not top secret at least it's semi secret i mean there's uh, the public is not allowed in but they had their cards and they can swipe and they can get in it's many people in boston don't know they're sitting on a fusion reactor there are three of those in the world one is in boston where they're trying to you know harness the power of the sun if you google it it's there um, on you will find it there the fusion reactor in boston and that is that reactor is powered by a nuclear reactor uh, a, a fission reactor that's also there in boston it's all underground and we went in there a massive huge huge facility i don't i'm not sure if i should be talking about it uh, I, i took just one picture in a classroom but not outside um so it's it's an amazing something out of a science fiction movie you know just barrels there and i thought what's this some kind of waste so yes that's atomic waste it it's uh, it's radioactive don't go near it just like that it's it's there um so an amazing facility um and they took me to a classroom where the scientists meet to discuss problems so it was empty it a very big simple classroom but very big and completely empty so i went there and then they asked me um uh, so there this is the question how is it possible to have devotion and knowledge together in advaita vedanta if you are brahman then how can you have devotion for god how did shankara say that i am brahman at the same time write all these devotional hymns so the same question you see 
So I said, can I use this blackboard? You know, I think I wanted to write on that same blackboard which these scientists are working on. So I I explained all this, what I've what we are doing right now, just the outlines of it. I mean, drawing diagrams and all, and that picture is there with me. Uh, one of them took the picture there. So it's a question that many people have. Devotion and knowledge, how does it go together? And this analysis actually answers all of that. All right. The literal meaning of the sentence is that so, so um, did we read text number 166? Yes. So in text number 166, what is, has been said is, in this sentence, that thou art, uh, the contradictions are there without resolving these contradictions, no matter what you add. Whatever meaning you imply and you import it, you know, like the horse, red horse, you import whatever meaning, nothing will work because the contradiction will remain. God and individual are not the same. Again, there is a salesman who is trying to push this Ajahad uh, Lakshana and that will not work. I'll just quickly read through it to get to the crux of it. I want to finish this today. 167. And what's going to happen now? Somebody is trying to push this Ajahad Lakshana up, upon us. That No, you try it. You try it in this way. You add this, see, it will work. 167. You can't say this, we are saying to that person. You can't say that either of the words that or thou may exclude the portion of its meaning which conflicts with the other word and imply a combination of the other portion with the meaning of the other word. Therefore, no, no reason, no necessity arises of admitting Bhaga Lakshana. Bhaga Lakshana is the one which we are going to take up at the end, which we are going to accept. So he's trying to prevent us from doing that. It won't work. It's just um, a, a, trying, a way of trying to force us to accept the contradiction. Saying that just make, you know, that and thou. So you are saying it's contradictory. Yes, it's obviously contradictory. Let the meaning of thou, let it give up its contradictory portions and combine with the meaning of, uh, of that. And so that, it'll, you know, you take just consciousness, you are consciousness, give up the, you know, that you're less powerful, you're just an individual being, body, mind, give that up and just concentrate on the constant consciousness part of it. And that, that's how you are one with God, God with all the powers. And that doesn't work. If uh, you give up the contradictory parts on this side, you have to give up the contradictory parts on that side. You can't just combine a part of the jiva with the all of God or a part of God with all of jiva. Again, it's, it's uh, impossible. 168. <laughs> Why not? Why, why don't we accept that uh, offer? 
because it's impossible to conceive the same word as indicating a part of its own meaning as well as the meaning of another word. Moreover, when this meaning is directly expressed by the other word, it does not require the application of lakshana and the first word to indicate it. More or less the same kind of uh, objection which we had to the first the offer in the earlier case. You don't use implied meaning when the words are already there. Um, you can't use implied meaning to make a part of the meaning of thou imply that or a part of the meaning of that imply thou because that and thou are already mentioned. You can't use implied meaning for that. Um, if that doesn't make sense, don't worry. It's not, not important. I don't even know why he added this extra complication. But the real point of this entire exercise is now in text number 169. So you pay attention to this, things will be uh, clear. 169. Avirudham-devadattaṅśa-mātram-lakṣayati-tathā-tattva-masīti-vākyam-tadatthova-parokṣatva-parokṣatva-adhi-viṣṭa-caitanya-ekatva-lakṣanasya-vākyārtha-sy
you can't have them both together. You can't be uh, a fit and overweight person at the same time. So these are contradictory parts. And yet the amazing thing is we don't say it's a, it's a meaningless sentence. We immediately understand when somebody says, this is that person, we immediately understand. We understand that you, you, you are not, um, you don't mean the contradictory portions. You just mean the person is the same. You just mean you are implying, the implied meaning of your statement is, it is that same person. Um, you have given up the contradictory portions and you have retained only the portion which is common. What is common to that Devadatta and this Devadatta? Just the person Devadatta, not the incidental characteristics of past and present, young and old, fit and overweight. Those things you can ignore and you can quite reasonably say, it's the same person. Exactly like that. When you say that thou art, uh, there are contradictions. Um, all powerful and little powerful. I know myself directly. God is something I only is indirect. I believe in it and or I don't believe in it, whatever. Um, God is, if God exists, is all pervading. I am, I am limited and so on. All these contradictions, what are we are being, what we are being asked to um, understand is ignoring these contradictions underlying both is the same absolute consciousness, one pure consciousness. Which is this pure consciousness? Which is where we started the entire journey. There is only one reality, the non-dual existence consciousness bliss. That consciousness is common to both. And that is what is meant by that thou art. By that thou art, we don't mean God, we don't mean you as an individual, but we mean the essence of God and the essence of you, one and the same, the real you. And the reality of God is one and the same reality. I mean, I'm, I can't put it more beautifully than Meister Eckhart, the great German medieval theologian who said, the ground of God and the ground of my soul are one and the same. It, it's a Mahavak, it's, it's the implied meaning. It's the, this is called Jahad Ajad Lakshana or Bhaga Tyaga Lakshana or Bhaga Lakshana. They all mean the same thing. Lakshana, implied meaning. Jahad Ajahad, giving up, not giving up. Um, Bhaga Tyaga, giving up partially. Bhaga, Partially. All of them mean the same thing. We have applied that method here. And that's what that's the method that Meister Eckhart applies. Um, that's the method that the great Sufi mystic who says, when I searched for Allah, I found myself. When I searched for myself, who am I? I found Allah. What does it mean? Literally. It, then it, it must be that the underlying reality must be one reality. It must be the exactly same reality. But ignoring the contradictory aspects of it. Now you might say, how do you ignore the contradictory aspects? You can only ignore the contradictory aspects if they are appearances, if they are false. If, if you're on a movie screen, you see a comedy and a tragedy, and I say comedy and tragedy are exactly the same. So how can a comedy and a tragedy be the same? Or I, what I mean is, it's the same movie screen, which you saw as a comedy, and the whole thing played out there. The same movie screen, which you saw as a tragedy, the tragic movie, none of it is real. What was always there is the right now it's there, it's that movie screen. Or for example, I think I had a, yeah, like a paperweight. I was just thinking about this example today. So I can um, show you this paperweight. And so it's, suppose it's a colorless crystal and I've got this yellow color, you know, like. Look at, look at how it looks now. 
although it's still some yellow behind it. Um, but if I put the yellow color right there now, the crystal looks yellow and the glass looks yellow. Now suppose I put um, a brown color behind it. Now the glass looks brown. And if I say the brown paperweight and the yellow paperweight are exactly the same, you say, how can the yellow paperweight and the brown paperweight be the same? They look completely different. They're contradictory. Brown and yellow are not the same. It's because the glass in itself is neither brown nor yellow. It just looks brown in the proximity of the brown background and it just looks yellow in the proximity of the yellow background. And this is called in Vedanta Upadhi. Upadhi means that by its proximity appears to transfer its qualities on another. The yellow cloth by its proximity appears to transfer yellow color to the colorless glass. Appears means even when the glass looks yellow, it's not yellow. Even when the glass looks brown, it's not brown. It's just colorless glass. But it is the capacity of looking brown. It is the capacity of looking yellow. In this case, of course, you need something else from outside, a yellow cloth or a yellow or a brown uh, background to give you this color. But in the case of consciousness, consciousness just can project. Consciousness itself, just like your own mind can project an entire dream. Consciousness, you call it the power of Maya or something. The point is the projection does not make consciousness really into God or an individual or into a world. Consciousness appears as Jiva Jagatishwara, God, world, and individual. But at the same time, it just remains consciousness itself. Not one thing is different in the world, in the individual, and in God, other than that one existence consciousness space. From the perspective of, from the perspective of reality, but from the perspective of the movie show, everything is different. That it, now consciousness is God, and now consciousness is me, the little fellow. And now consciousness is this huge universe. And now you can have the game of life. And yet, at no moment is any of this. I am nothing other than pure consciousness. Whatever I'm experiencing is nothing other than pure consciousness. And the God I worship is nothing other than the pure consciousness. At this time also, even when it appears to be yellow or brown. You don't actually have to remove the yellow color to appreciate its colorlessness. If you try to remove the yellow color to appreciate colorlessness, that's the path of yoga, nirvikalpa samadhi. You stop the world appearance individually for yourself to realize that you are the uh, impersonal consciousness, an experiential thing. What Vedanta tries to do is, is it really, once you know that it's colorless crystal, colorless uh, glass, plain glass, is it really necessary to take away the yellow cloth? Yeah. Is it really necessary? Will you say, I don't believe you, Swami. Uh, I think the glass is yellow. You have to take away the yellow uh, cloth and then show me the glass is colorless and then I'll believe you. No, you don't have to. Even when the world is appearing, even when you feel like an individual being and you feel the presence of God, you know it is one reality, existence, consciousness, bliss. What we did um, all those months, we started with this. And then we introduced Maya. And because of Maya, we said, 
this plus Maya looks yellow. And we introduced a part of Maya, a limited, limited uh, entity, a jnana, and a body and a mind. We said this plus pure consciousness looks like this. Now we are saying brown glass and yellow glass are one and the same glass because they are need, not really brown. At no point did it become brown. At no point did it become yellow. At no point did pure consciousness become God. At no point did pure consciousness ever become you. Today I was reading Major Chadwick, this Englishman um, who was very close to Ramana Maharshi. Uh, he, he writes that uh, um, at one point people started saying that I am a sage. You know, people there in, in the lo local Tamil people, uh, look how he meditates. Look what a glow there is on his face. He's literally become an illumined person. And he said that I didn't feel that way at all. And I, I knew that it was working. Uh, I was, I was um, progressing, but I didn't feel that I was at all illumined or become particularly spiritual. So he said, I rushed to Ramana Maharshi and he was alone. And I asked him, I said, uh, look, I feel unhappy. There are so many people saying wonderful things about me, but none of it is really true. You know, I mean, I'm not really spiritually all that advanced. And, and Ramana Maharshi smiled at him and said, Chadwick, who is saying all this? And he said, I was stunned into silence. I went into a kind of absolute quietness. And then a few days later, there was one luxury which he permitted himself, being a British officer. He had his bathtub, which he couldn't give up. So the bathtub was there on the, outside his cottage, which he would fill up with water and take a bath there. So he was taking a bath and very much like Archimedes, you know, and he had his eureka moment. And he jumped out of the bathtub and put a towel around his waist and rushed to Ramana Maharshi, ran all the way. And it's like a breakthrough he had. Luckily, again, Ramana Maharshi was sitting alone. And so he rushed in and he said, I am. And that's it. Is this it? And Ramana Maharshi smiled and said, yes, Chadwick, that is it. As simple as that, I am. And then Major Chadwick says, that breakthrough that never went away, that shining awareness that I am, that being, and all my problems were solved forever effortlessly. That I am, colored by Maya, appears as Tat, God. Colored by ignorance and a mind and a body, appears as Thou, You. But at no point is there any coloring really. Colored is just a way of speaking. I am, pure consciousness remains as I am. So this is what is being said here. One, just one more point quickly and mention, um, technically, philosophically. Again and again, we say it is beyond words and beyond conception. And that's why implied meaning has to be taken. Why is it beyond words and conception? If it really worked, if the sentence, a direct meaning would be possible, if it was something expressible by language, then you wouldn't have to take an implied meaning. You could just say, you are that. Like you say, you are Sarva Priyananda. It makes sense. But then Sarva Priyananda, what do you mean by Sarva Priyananda is an object. Here, to you, it's appearing to you, this person. So anything that you say, you are that, if you meant mean a direct meaning, it would be an object. It would not be the pure consciousness. Pure consciousness can never be objectified by language. 
It is not an entity within the world. It's not that there is a world, there is God, there is you, and there's one more plus, one more entity called pure consciousness. No, no, no. Language works only within this world. I mean, Wittgenstein put it as so, so well in the tractatus. He says, the limits of language are the limits of the world. Limits of language are the limits of the world. Therefore, it follows language actually cannot direct, direct meaning of any word cannot express pure consciousness. And therefore, all this exercise of finding out an implied meaning. Either you abandon, no, language cannot at all work. Or you find out an indirect way. One of the indirect ways is implied meaning, is the exercise which we went through. There are other ways. There is, um, you know, negation, not this, not this. That's another way language can help you to realize. There is another way. There are, um, you know, contradicted, very cool Zen type of stories which short circuit your intellect into making the breakthrough. So there are different ways in language can help, but none of them are the direct use of language, that uh, way language works in the world. That way you cannot indicate that ultimate reality. Yeah, so that's why implied meaning had to be gone through. That's it. This is the meaning of tattvamasi. Tat, let me put it in technical language um, and I'll stop. Tat, what is tat and what is tvam? Tat is maya upahita chaitanyam. Consciousness limited by maya. Tvam is ajnana upahita chaitanyam. Consciousness limited by ignorance. Maya, Ajnana, they are all appearances. You can safely ignore them and say consciousness alone is the reality. And therefore, that thou art. Tattvamasi. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll have many, many implications. It's a vast, vast thing which we have done today. We'll uh, explore it next time. Let me quickly look at the comments in the comment box. Um... Praveerva was saying is God and Jiva like gold and ornaments, wave and water or wood and table. No. God and Jiva is like um, not um, wave and ornaments, like ocean and um, not like wave and water, like ocean and wave. Waves are like individual Jivas and all the waves taken together is the ocean. That's like God. God is the totality. We are the individuality. But what is beyond wave and beyond ocean and beyond both wave and ocean? Water. Notice the difference between wave, ocean and water. The entire ocean depends on the reality called water. Without water. Why is water the reality and not wave and ocean? Because without water, could a wave exist? But can water exist without a wave? Certainly. It could be a waveless water. It could be water vapor. It could be a glass of water. It could be somewhere else. Could be without a wave completely. But a wave entirely depends on water. There's nothing that a wave is or can do without the water, which constitutes its reality. Exactly like that. The ocean is infinitely vaster than a wave and includes the wave also. And yet the ocean is nothing without water. The moment you take water away, the ocean disappears also. The ocean is God. The wave is the individual. But the reality through and through, they are nothing but water. And remember one little thing about these examples. They play in our subconscious. Um, when you say, oh, so I am a wave and God is the ocean. But what that thou art is saying that both are water. 
But you know what will niggle in the back of your mind? Yeah, but the wave has less water and the ocean has lots of water. So I guess I am water, but a less, of, less water and God is a lot of water. No, at that level, no less water, no more water. You and God um, are, both of you are nothing but pure consciousness. Not that God is a lot, lot more pure consciousness and you're a little bit of pure consciousness. No, exactly the same. I mean, if I can misuse language, I'll say, you are all of it. You, the individual, are all of it. Each of us is all of it. There's no all or part there. I was just reading today um, in America, in Los Angeles, I think, after one of the talks in Swami Vivekananda, somebody stood up and asked, so Swami, are you saying that all is good? And Swamiji said, no, I am saying that all is God and nothing else. Oh, he said, I'm, I'm saying that God only is and all is not. There's only one reality. It's not that there is somehow this universe and then we find something which unites the universe. It's a nice feeling. That's Vishishta Advaita. Advaita Vedanta says this universe is an appearance. It's not like in a movie hall, in a, in a movie. It's not like there are heroes and villains and monsters and you know dragons and stuff like that and a screen. No, when you talk about the screen, there are no villains and heroes, monsters and dragons. It's just the screen, which appears in all those diverse ways. Okay. Um, take the snake rope example. Somebody comes and mistakes the snake, the rope for somebody sees a snake there, somebody sees a discarded garland by mistake. Somebody sees a crack in the earth. These are classic examples in old texts. Bhuchidra, Pushpamala, Sarpa. Now somebody, a wise man comes and says, the snake is the same as the garland, flower garland. How can a snake and a flower garland be same? They are same because the snake is not a snake. It's a rope. The flower garland is not a flower garland. It's that same rope. You've made mistakes about it. But we can't tell you it's a rope because neither of you see a rope. You are seeing a snake. You are seeing a flower garland. We have to tell you that they are the same. When you investigate it, you will find neither a snake nor a flower garland, you will find a rope. You find neither God nor the individual, you find the absolute Brahman. And you are that, actually. That's the implied meaning. Michael Bird says, if I already understand that I am Nirguna Brahman, what is the point of the faith-based remote concept of Saguna Brahman that doesn't actually exist? Be careful. When you say that doesn't actually exist, if you are Nirguna Brahman, from that perspective, no problem. You are free. But as long as you exist, as you continue to appear in this limited form as an individual, you will be regarded as a Jivan Mukta, a free while living. And yet the world appearance continues for you, as long as this body continues. If you appear as an individual being and, and you see other beings, then God is equally real for you. To that extent that your individual appearance and the world appearance is real. You can't say that oh, that remote God-like thing, so God of religion is to be dismissed. But my individuality continues very nicely. <laughs> One Swami put it very beautifully in Belur Bhatt, you know, when we are new enthusiasts about non-dualism. He says that... Uh, Devotion is to be applied to God and knowledge to oneself. But you fools, 
he meant these yeah, novices, these fools, they apply knowledge to God and devotion to oneself. <laughs> knowledge to God means I have studied Advaita Vedanta. Now I know this remote, it's an, it's an appearance. It's a movie. It's, God is not real. What about me? My food and my rest and my health and my, uh, and the little mosquito bothering me. They are all very real. If they are real, God is equally real. You haven't come to the screen, the movie screen yet. You're still very much within the movie. So one has to be careful. And even after enlightenment, even if you, you're very clear, I've not only understood, it's a living truth for me. I'm the impersonal absolute in which the world is an appearance. There also, as long as you live and act like an individual being, either remain immersed as that one existence consciousness bliss, or that I should continue as I am the devotee of the Lord, knowing full well that the absolute is the, is the reality. Sri Ramakrishna says, after enlightenment also, the ego will pop up. Not a real ego, but still, like a character in a movie. Now that has to be handled. It will not give trouble, but you, have to, you can handle it in two ways. You can say, the ego in the movie can say now, uh, I know this is a movie, so I know I am nothing but the screen. That's perfectly all right. It's still the eye of the, of the movie character saying that. Or it can say, I am, uh, uh, I am the servant of the Lord. That I, Sri Ramakrishna says also, the devotee's eye or the jnani's eye. He says both are perfectly all right. It's that other eye which says, I am this person, which, which traps us in samsara. Um, Rama says, the Mahavakya talks about the essential nature of Jivatma and Paramatma being identical. Correct. Is there an inference here in the Mahavakyam that points to Jagat Mithyatvam? Absolutely. Jagat Mithyatvam means falsity of the world. If the universe were not false, if the universe were not a movie, not a dream, you could not say that Jiva and Brahman are the same. Uh, how can you say the individual being and God are the same? That, that's the blasphemy that dualists accuse you of. Notice, the dualists always say the world is real. If the world is real, the difference between you and God is also real. It cannot be dismissed by an act of knowledge. You suddenly realize there's one underlying reality. No, that won't do. All you can realize is you are the creature, the Lord is your Lord, you are the servant, and the Lord is your master. Uh, that is that's the limit of it in dualistic uh, in the dualistic approach theistic approach this identity is entirely based on the falsity of the universe uh, it will not work otherwise prabir basu how does adhyaropapavad apply to this analysis is this what we are doing correct all the Adhyaropapavada that we did, superimposition and desuperimposition. Remember, we started with one consciousness. And now, today, we've ended up with one consciousness. That and thou means this one consciousness only, which you are feeling right now. By the method of superimposition, desuperimposition, you have realized how you can uh, eliminate or disregard this identity with body-mind. That the body is an appearance, the mind is an appearance, the five koshas are an appearance. You are the vast, unlimited consciousness. This would not have been possible without realizing how mind and body have actually appeared in Brahman because of Maya, which is what we did in superimposition, de-superimposition. The whole process we went through. Technically, that is known as tatpada shodhana, tvampada shodhana. The analysis 
or the clarification of the meaning of the of the term that and the clarification of the meaning of the term thou. That clarification, that analysis, you must go through. Otherwise, you cannot find out the, the underlying identity. Um, regarding Swamiji's uh, statement that God only is, a similar uh, question was raised by Mary Hale. That I understand what you have taught. You have taught that all is God. And Swami Vivekananda said, I've never taught such strange doctrine that all is God. And she was puzzled. She said, you said it. And Swamiji said, no, what I meant was, God only is, all is not. This is Advaita Vedanta. Cordelia says, if you say that consciousness, that consciousness art thou, would the Ajahar Lakshana not apply? That consciousness, Arda, if you mean pure consciousness, you can't say it. What would you say? It can't be the meaning of a word, a direct meaning of a word. We discussed this. If language can express it directly, then it would become an object. That pure consciousness cannot be objectified. Look at what we can objectify. What kind of consciousness can be objectified with words, with language? We can talk about, what can we talk about? You can talk about your thoughts. Feelings, emotions, memories, understanding, ignorance. All of that is consciousness limited by vrittis. And what you're talking about actually are the vrittis, the movements of the mind, not consciousness itself. Bare consciousness itself, pure consciousness itself can never become an object of language. Swami, you just said it, pure consciousness itself. I said it, but what does it mean? Find out what it means, you can't. It's only the implied meaning will work there. Directly, it does not, does not point to anything. Um, Patrick says, is the immediacy of jiva consciousness generated by the ego? Is attachment to that immediacy the main bond? No. The immediacy is because of uh, consciousness itself. You are consciousness. You're directly experiencing it. The ego just reflects that. It's like, um, you know, when you look at a mirror, yeah, this works nicely. Look at a mirror. You can see your face in the mirror. It's not an immediate experience. It's being reflected in the mirror. What is immediate? Which is the immediate face? Immediate means without mediation. Which is the immediate face? The one which you cannot see here, the real face. This is direct and immediate, but you can't see it. To see it, you need a reflector. Similarly, to actually have a vivid experience of yourself as consciousness, you need a reflector, like the ego, mind. And then you feel I, yeah. But the witness of the I, which can't, can't be expressed by language, that's the real you. Nidjari says, do grace and a leap of faith have any place in Advaita? Uh, yes, by the grace of God, we attain all this. We firmly believe that. Um, Rita says, thus, apart from the statement that thou art, are all predicates upadhis? In that statement, that thou art, all predicates are upadhis, because that and thou are constituted of upadhis. And that upadhis have to be dismissed. Upadhis means the associates, the adjuncts. Um, Vishwanathan says, thank you for the example with the paper with Swamiji. It reminds me of Hanuman's statement to Ramchandra, Dehavudya. Correct, correct. Difference between Tattvamasi and Aham Brahmasmi. Next class. That is the topic for the next class. Yes. 
Charles Chow has given some comments also. Yes. All in one, one in all. So how is this consciousness aggregated? Consciousness is not aggregated. Aggregates are possible in matter, in mind. Aggregates are possible. Remember, where did the concept of aggregate first come in? Part and whole, when maya is introduced. Before maya, only consciousness, Satchidananda, there are no parts. So there is no question of you being all of consciousness or a part of consciousness. There is no part and whole there. Part and whole comes only at the level of maya, at the level of the mind, at the level of the body and the universe. During the lesson today, Maharajji and us are one, yet is each is separate from the other. So this lesson was godliness in action. Yes, that is true. Godliness in action is the next step. How is this manifested as a play? How does the one screen appear as the diverse characters in the movie? And they interact with each other. They play with each other, fight with each other. The Ashtavakra says, Mai ananta mahambodo ascharyam jiva vichaya udyanti gnanti kelanti pravishanti swabhavata in me, the infinite ocean of awareness, how strange and wonderful are these sentient beings. They arise, they play with each other, they fight with each other, and they disappear back into me again. <laughs> that is what is being mentioned here, uh, is pointed out here. All right, we've gone well over time. I am Brahman, that's the one next time. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Rupa Namastu